Let's all stand together, open our Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 9, chapter 6 tonight. 2 Corinthians 6, we'll begin reading at verse 14 and go down to verse 18. The Bible says, Be ye not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness, and what communion hath light with darkness? And what concord hath Christ with Belial, or what part hath he that believeth with an infidel? What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For ye are the temple of the living God. As God has said, I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I'll be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing, and I'll receive you. I will be a father unto you, and ye shall be my sons and daughters, saith the Lord Almighty. And then verse 1 of chapter 7, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting a holiness in the fear of God. Come out from among them and be separate. If a preacher stands and says those words in 2022... It's disturbing. He uses phrases like, be holy, cleanse yourselves from filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfect holiness, be not unequally yoked. Those are disturbing phrases. Everyone has a different definition of what separation is or how separate they are to be, even in homes. You see... Family members fussing at each other, husbands with wives and wives with husbands and church members. I don't believe anyone here ought to be the reference point to separation. I believe we believe in biblical separation, which means the Bible ought to be our reference to anything that is classified as separation. Now, I know when many preachers preach on this text, they speak of marriage. Young people, this ought to be more than obvious that you should never be yoked with the unsaved. That should never even be a consideration. Well, pastor, if you realized how few men there are in Christian circles, my age, dedicated to loving God and determined to do right with the rest of their lives, yes, I understand that, but I also believe that there's a God in heaven with a plan for your life and a man for your life. A man plan for your life. Amen. Uh, don't get desperate and find someone who's backslidden or doesn't even have the same love and passion for God. Uh, you know, there's a problem in Christianity. People thinking too lowly of themselves or too highly of themselves, and it creates uh, difficulties in finding a mate. So we're not talking about that tonight because I think that's overly obvious for the crowd here at Capital City Baptist Church. You should not be unequally yoked. And then he has several questions that are going to be asked. Very rhetorical and obvious. You couldn't get more black and white, more obvious than this. What fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? Is there any fellowship there at all? Children of God, children of Satan, the lawless versus the lawful. Uh, You don't have to go to the wickedest parts of this city. How many of you just stopped going downtown Austin in general? There was a time it was a pleasant place maybe to eat or to be. 
and now with the rot and the filth and the wickedness. And uh, I think we as Christians are not being disturbed enough by biblical preaching in our pulpits that underline separation. I believe we ought to do it properly, biblically, with the right spirit. But for a child of God, there is no choice, A, B, C, and D. It is come out from among them and be separate. Is there any fellowship or any communion light with darkness? Can those coexist under any circumstances? Any concord Christ with Belial? Uh, we you find Satan and God in fellowship with each other? God's making it very obvious. There has to be an utter, total separation. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? How many of you have ever walked through a Catholic church? How does it feel when you're indwelt by the Spirit of God? You know that's not where you're supposed to be. You know there's something extremely wrong. If I were to bring those idols to this house of God, uh, you would immediately come to my office and say, Preacher, what are we doing? There's a problem here. There should be no association at all. Therefore, come out from among them and be ye separate and touch not the unclean thing. Now, this is, a, this is a problem in 2022. It's always been a problem. It just seems like a bigger problem. How many of you remember in, uh, you, you go back, some of you go back to the 30s and 40s, I think, 50s. Anyways, you go way back. I don't go that far back, but I remember in the 70s, Christians actually blended a little easier. Our purpose is never to blend. But, but the world didn't look so different. Now, let me ask you this. Why would we not want to be anything but separate when they can't figure out their gender from day to day? They forgot the real color of their hair. We're talking no longer square inches of tattoos, but square meters of tattoos on their body. Why, why would you not want to separate yourself? from? We're talking about philosophies. Now, there's ecclesiastical separation. There's personal separation. I, I believe is a church is a, a pastor, is my obligation to keep us separate from certain things that might influence our children. They may be a Bible conference in name, but I don't want to go because standards are so different that they would lead our kids to question standards by being with kids that have no standards. And they would cause our kids to question Bible standards based on leadership in other churches that have no biblical standards of separation at all. Now, those standards used to be a little more universal among independent Baptists. That is no longer the case. It's a mixed bag of fruits and nuts, and you never know uh, when you visit a church which fruit or which nut you're going to visit with. Go with me to Haggai for just a moment. Now, separation, uh, we understand, is from uh, and unto. We're separating from anything Contrary to the mind of God. Anything. Right now we understand. Pretty simple. And we're separating unto God. As sanctification. Being set apart unto God. Church, I think we have to be reminded continually. This auditorium is called a sanctuary. 
you know what makes this building separate from different from any other structure or building? It's been dedicated, set apart to God. So when you have your children come to the you ought to say, this is God's place. This is God's house. Oh, we don't bring trash. We don't bring drinks. We don't bring the wrong spirit. We don't bring sin. This is God's place. This is God's building. Some of you would come over to my house and treat my living room with more respect than you allow your kids to treat the very house of God. There's a, there's a problem with that. What, what separates that piano from any other piano? That's God's. That's been separated just like a body, any object on this planet. When God appeared to Moses, he said, take off your shoes. You're standing what? It's holy because it was separated unto God. You can make a piece of wood holy by saying, you, you know what makes this uh, holy? No beer can should ever be sat upon this, this piece of wood. You can set beer on a piece of wood in a different place, but this wood has been dedicated to God. It's sanctified. You see that in the Old Testament with every object that was brought into the temple. God said, you set it apart and you do what? You sanctify it. You know what you ought to do in your house? Sanctify everything in your house. And if you can't sanctify it, you need to get rid of it. If you can't sanctify that video game, you ought to get rid of it. If you can't sanctify your phone, you ought to get rid of it. We don't buy used computers. You know why? I believe our computers ought to be sanctified. That means never used for anything other than the glory of God. I don't want to buy someone else's computer. You say, what if it came from a Christian? No, I don't want to take a risk that it was used for something other than the glory of God. Haggai 2.12. If one bear holy flesh in the skirt of his garment, and with his skirt do touch bread, or pottage, or wine, or oil, or any meat, shall it be holy? And the priest answered and said, no. God's making a very important point here, and he's putting it deep into the hearts and minds of the priest. He said, you don't accidentally become cleansed, and you don't cleanse the dirty, the unholy, the filthy, by brushing it up against the holy. Wouldn't that be nice in life? If, if you take someone that's well down at the hospital and they walk through the ward with those that are sick, they just make everyone well. The opposite happens. Verse 13, then said Haggai, if one that is unclean by a dead body touch any of these, shall it be unclean? And the priest answered and said, it should be unclean. So he said, the problem is we must separate ourselves because the defiled defile the clean. It's not the opposite. The clean don't clean up or cleanse the defiled. Then answered Haggai and said, so is this people and so is this nation before me, saith the Lord. And so is every work of their hands and that which they offer there is unclean because they've been made unclean by the very presence of the defiled. I don't care how clean or separate you keep your kids. You can in a day, an hour, a night, a video, a moment with a cell phone, an overnight experience with friends, you can take that pure clean vessel of 15 years and defile it in two hours because the clean never cleanses the defiled. It's always the defiled that defiles the clean. That's why we separate ourselves. Now, let me just say this, parents. There's two ways to lose your kids to the world. Have no standards at all. Don't separate at all from the world. They're going to grow taste for the world, a love for the world. 
make friendships with the world. There are many that now in Christianity have eliminated all standards, lowered all standards. If it's not one that is comfortable to them, their ministry, their church, just get rid of it under the guise of pragmatism and say, you know what, for church growth and the increase of our ministry, we're better off eliminating that standard or that rule or that requirement and that way we offend a few less. No, a carnal person is going to be offended no matter what the rule is. Uh, if it's a problem of the heart, it's not a problem of how high the fence is. If you have the right heart, the fence doesn't even have to exist. You have the wrong heart, and you can make that fence 100 feet high, and someone's going to find their way over it, around it, or through it. But let me, let me just say this, parents. If you have separation, believe in separation, and teach separation, and you don't teach that it is not just separation from the world, but separation unto God, you're going to lose your kids too. Because if all you say is don't do that, can't be around that, we have to eliminate that, and you're not teaching them to develop a relationship to God, say you're sanctified unto God for His use, all you're doing is creating an angry child being deprived of all the pleasures and luxuries that other children are afforded. I don't get a phone when I'm seven. I don't have unlimited access to the internet when I'm 10. I don't get to spend three nights with my friends. This is why it's very important at a young age you teach your children the meaning of the word no. I've never seen a more permissive generation of parents totally controlled by their children. You say no, they just have a difficult personality. They don't have a difficult personality because if you loan that child two days, to grandma and grandpa, they seem to obey themselves very well. Maybe it's a permissive parent, not a stubborn-willed child. But in the midst of separation, it's not separation. I've, I've heard people say, well, you know, the rules in separation had just ruined a generation. No, the lack of relationship with God ruined a generation. Now, we understand that sanctification, separation is always based, the, the foundational basis is love. Now, if you just have separation from, can, can you imagine, uh, you have a college student and uh, a young man comes to college and just said, I, sorry, I don't want to eat with you ladies. I'm not interested. We're having a banquet. No, thanks. You're going to say, hmm, something a little strange there, right? You expect at some point for him to notice someone of the opposite sex and say, maybe there's a spark there. Maybe there's interest there. And if there's no interest at any moment, I'm hoping to ship them to another college. <laughs> but as soon as that person finds another person, now we don't think it's strange that Stuart is separating himself from the other young ladies because he separated himself from the others unto Katya. That's not strange. That's love based. People understand. There's a motive there. So there's a natural distancing. You say, I, I, I'm not hateful. I'm not hurtful. We look at separation as something mean-spirited. Something strange if Stuart started walking around and saying, get away from me. You're ugly. I don't want to be around you. Stand back, ladies. He barely attracted one. There's no reason to. Amen. Kaya has her eye surgery the day after Sally. 
she still doesn't even know which Hofmeister she's chasing. <laughs> Just the one who sits next to her, amen? Now, separation. I, I've never offended Beth in church until now. She's offended. She's tuned me out and turned me off. That separation from is a result of being separated unto, so the spirit is right. Here's how you know the spirit is not right in separation. When that person is mean, hard, harsh, ugly, okay, that's just a pharisaical separation. Oh, I don't do that. I don't want to be with you. I don't like you. Ah, there's something wrong with that. But when there's the right spirit of no thank, I, I, I can't participate in that. Why? I'm a child of God, and there's just things we don't do, and we don't participate in. I don't, I don't want to be considered mean-spirited. You stand on God's word, and people naturally, if you don't participate in what they're doing or prove, this real problem with separation among independent Baptists, we've fallen for the trap words, tolerance. Now, I just want to be tolerant. The world's not tolerant of you. You're going to find out real quick. The world's not going to tolerate anything you do that's biblical. But you're supposed to be tolerant of everything they do that is unbiblical. The difference is they actually hate us for who we are. We don't hate any person for who they are. We hate the sin they're participating in and cannot approve of it. Now, let's go back to our text. And I think in this text, I was looking at this, and I, here's what I hope to do tonight. So often we take texts like these, which many of you can quote. And we've heard them, so as soon as a message is preached, we tune out. Oh, boy, here we go. Unequally yoked. Come out from among them, be separate. I'll be your father. And here's tonight, simply a little short thought that I think is the ignored principle in the text. Look what it says, chapter 7, verse 1. Having therefore what? Did you know 14 through 18 is about promises? We look at it as commands to be separate. And Paul said, now that I've given you the promises, let us cleanse ourselves. Now, here's what we've got to teach our kids. There are promises of separation that ought to be powerful motivation, powerful initiative to come out and be separate. Church, no matter how the world looks at us, it's not the world now, it's actually our fundamental independent Baptist brethren. They walk in and go, wow, suits and ties. What is it that frustrates people about suits and ties? Like, that's problematic behavior. You think they'd walk into a church and see a miniskirt and go, but no, it's a suit and tie that's offensive. It's not the purple and pink hair, it's the normal haircuts. You know why we got to go normal? Because we're balding, we don't have a choice. I might fluff it up and comb, you know. If I could do this stuff, who, I don't know. I'm so carnal, I may try it. Now if I, it's just the wind taking those three hairs and blowing it the wrong direction. <laughs> making me look worldly. And the wind can make me look worldly at this point in my life. <laughs> Having, therefore, these promises. What are the promises? Now look what it says in verse 16. What agreement hath the temple of God with idols? For you are the temple of the living God. 
Now here begins the list of Bible promises to those that come out and choose to be separate. He said, I will dwell in them. Now, pastor, here's the problem. That sounds like a promise. But at the end of the line, God indwells all the believers. No, this is a little bit different. I will dwell in them. Now, let's consider, first of all, the promise of his presence. What that does for you and how that motivates you. We have people in the church. I won't mention any names, just initials. F. A. Thompson. And many others of our fine ladies have heavy lead feet. I have left for school in the morning before the Ben Thompson lights were even on and found faith to be at the auditorium (laughs) before I got here. Don't laugh, Steve. Beth can drive just as fast. Maybe faster. Now, let me ask you this. What changes that? The presence of placement. So... You see that there's a placeman who likes to sit a certain lot, a certain point in the highway, and when you go by, you're doing all of 65 miles an hour, smiling, <laughs> waving at the police, right? His presence does what? Changes behavior. Uh, Pastor Bob, we have kids that do all kinds of stuff every day of the week, but when they walk by your office, sainthood. <laughs> Suddenly, respect, love for God, proper demeanor, silence. His presence will take all of that and fix it. Totally fix it for a moment. It's his, it's his presence, right? How many of you acted differently in the presence of your parents than you did outside of the presence of your parents? Slightly. Now, there's something about separation. When we understand we are God's, the Bible says habitation. You you know what habitation is? That's the native environment for any species, any person, any being. Uh, um, We were laughing, talking about raft in the Nile. That's not my native environment. I don't swim. I don't, when I go to water, I immediately begin to look for things at the bottom of the pool or the lake bed. And I stay there until I realize I can't breathe, and then I just stay there. People have tried to teach me how to get to the surface. I've just not learned that. My body doesn't know how to get to the surface. Some of you are buoyant. That just means you've got other issues besides swimming. Keith is naturally more buoyant than his pastor. But there's a natural environment. I want my body to be God's natural environment. I don't want him to feel uncomfortable in his home. I've traveled before and stay with people. We laugh now, deputation, those kind of things. Uh, not so much anymore. You usually stay in a hotel or private chamber, but back in the day, you stay in people's homes, and there are places where we were comfortable, and there are places where we were very uncomfortable. Brother Gear, have you ever been to some place where you just were dying to leave? Some of you actually left. Now, here's the problem with God He resides in your body, and He can't 
I remember we were actually in Texas uh, several years ago, and my wife and I pulled up to this house and were greeted by dogs. These people had gates in their house like you have in your yard, but these dogs were as tall as the counter. The house literally, I'm making this up, when I walked in, it took the air out of my lungs. The stench was so horrific. And we greeted them, found out that's where we were supposed to be staying. I told, yeah, we'll unload our stuff later. We've got some running around to do before church. We've got a lot of things, busy things, incredible things. Right, babe? She's like, we do? Yes, we do. We've got emergency items to pick up before the service tonight. And we went to church, and the pastor said, uh, I'm going to have you present on Saturday. And I said, you know, we've had emergency situations come up, and we have to leave tonight. So sorry about that. And we drove out. You know why? I couldn't bring myself to stay in that environment. It was too obnoxious. What about God? In the body of some Christians who smelt like the world, talk like the world, live like the world. God's saying, here's what separation does for it. It makes God comfortable in that dwelling place. When Oscar comes over to our house, he's comfortable. I don't have to tell him, Oscar, you want to check in the fridge, see if there's something to drink. He's probably going to check at some point. There were times during COVID, Oscar and Kimberly came over. They know they come over at any time, day or night. That's not for everyone in the church. That's for Oscar and Kimberly, their family. <laughs> Just so you know, we didn't, we didn't make an invitation there. But there, there were times at 1130 at night, 11 o'clock, I said, Oscar, you, you guys have fun. They're up talking with family. I go to bed, and the next morning I ask the girls, what time did you guys call at night? Oh, 2 o'clock. Let me ask you, is God that comfortable in your home, in your body, in your mind, on your couch, at your table? Is this his natural habitation? Or is there a point in every day that he becomes awkward at your house? Awkward with the conversation, awkward with the entertainment, awkward with what is going on. Let me just say this before we move on. I got to thinking today. I don't think it'd be blasphemous to say that he ought to feel as comfortable in our body as he feels in his heavenly home. You know where I like to go? Where I feel Comfortable. I've purposely done things in my office. I wish I had a bigger window. You take what you have. But in there, certain books, desk, chair, lights, pictures. I didn't go ask Jeremy, what, what makes you comfortable? Does this chair make you comfortable? I'm, I'm not asking that because it's not his office. And vice versa, he wouldn't do that either. But I want to make sure that office doesn't just make me comfortable. It makes my permanent guest comfortable, which is God. So the first promise is, I will dwell with you. That's speaking of a God in heaven that says, I will make myself comfortable if your heart, your mind, your life, your heart is sanctified and cleansed. I will dwell there in a comfortable manner, I just don't know how comfortable he is in the average Christian. I will dwell with you. Now, look at the next promise. And I will walk in them. 
okay, pastor, so, so walk. We're talking about walking is freedom to move around as you please. How many of you have ever been somewhere where you were restricted? I've had surgeries done before. Not only do they lay you down and make sure you're not going to move, then they give you medication that renders you immobile. How many of you had guests in your homes and you shut doors? I don't want them to walk around. You know what God wants to be able to walk over to your entertainment center? He wants to be able to walk around. Let, let me put it in simpler terms, and I, I want to be careful, but I'm preaching to Cap City tonight and a few that are watching online. You remember back in the Old Testament, you had Israel's name camped in the wilderness, and what was the center of their life? Tabernacle, right? Right in the center of that, you had the Holy of Holies and God's dwelling place. Then you had the tribes divided up into groups of three around the tabernacle. But in there, it, God gave very specific instructions, and a lot of it's written in His Word. If you read Exodus and Leviticus, a lot of times we skip over this. But, but He told them, when, when you use the bathroom, I want you to go outside of the camp, you take a paddle with you, and you make sure you dig a hole and clean it up, because here's what God told them. I dwell in your midst, but I want to be able to walk around and not step in your mess. That wasn't just for Israel, that was for God. Now you say, Pastor, that's an overly simplistic and crudish example. No, it's not. That God did that for us. Isn't it amazing that the lives we're living, God has no freedom of movement? Now, hold on for a minute. Let's get more basic. There are Christians here tonight haven't allowed God to walk around their lives for years. He hasn't moved. I, I watch people. I'm talking about when God moves, you'll, you'll find yourself in an altar no matter how old you are or how long you've been a Christian or how tight the rows are. When God moves, there are tears, there's brokenness. When God moves, there's a change, there's repentance. When, here's what God said. I can't even walk until you cleanse yourself and separate. Some of you would have to separate from some friendships that would allow God movement. Some of you would have to remove some of your entertainment from the house that allows God movement. Some of you would have to address some music in your life that would allow God movement. Our uncleanness has so limited God. I, I know people say, well, I'd like for God to move my life. No, you wouldn't. No, you wouldn't. Because in order for God to move, he needs walking space. You've got to separate yourself. And you've already said, I've chosen this friendship over God moving in my life. I've chosen this actor. I've chosen this hobby. I've chosen, and God said, you made a choice. I gave you a promise. You separate yourself, and I will walk around in your life. Amen. I promise you Holy Ghost movement. You think, okay, so church uh, brings in the world's music and the strobe lights and boxes out the Word of God, eliminates principles from the Word of God that, that they simply won't touch or won't preach. But we're seeing a movement of God. No, 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 no. God has no walking space in that place. When you find a place 
that's clean and a heart that's clean and a mouth that's clean and a mind that's clean and a life that's clean and a home that's clean. You know, you know why right now I have confidence that, that there's separation in the Robert and Joe Simpson house? Because I'm watching God moving in the hearts of their kids at this moment. Oh, I hope it lasts for years. Usually it doesn't because in the midst of that, we fall back into the trap of uncleanness. God says the promise of separation is this. I will walk around. There'll be some movement in your life that you can only attribute to God. Parents, you ought to be able to look at the uncleanness that you're bringing into your home and see what it's doing to your own children because there's no movement of God in their lives. Don't ever mistake standards for movement of God. Compliance, rituals, obedience. That's not a movement of God. It's a mandate of a parent. But when you see God doing something in that child, you say, okay, we're getting things clean enough for God to walk through. This is God's promise. I will dwell in them. I'll get comfortable there and I'll walk in them. I'll walk around. You know what I do in my house all the time? I walk around. I've seen every nook, cranny, closet in our house this week. No one else has that kind of freedom. God wants that same level of movement in our hearts, in our lives, in our bodies. Look what it says right after that. And I will be there, what? Pastor, what are you talking about? I'll be there too. I mean, I'm a born again child of God. Think God is my God. No, not, not like that. God's saying, I'll be your only God. You know what separation does for you? You, you know what Stuart's relationship, he separated two Katya from the others, so his sole source of devotion, commitment, satisfaction is from a singular person. Here's what happens when a Christian refuses to separate himself or herself, then they have many, people in churches and Christians have many gods. Jobs of God, pleasures of God, hobbies of God, sports of God. This crowd only has one God, and God is your sole source of satisfaction. And you say, I'm pleased with him and him alone. And I don't, I don't need that. I'm thinking about a point in my life, if I see five minutes of game, great. If I don't see it, great. There, there's a point in my youth where I want to know who was scoring, who was winning, who was going to the playoffs, who was participating, who messed up. You know, at some point, when you sanctify and cleanse yourself, your desires change. Your past passions change. Well, well, preacher, you know, there are things that Stuart and I used to do together. We just don't do them anymore. His passions change. Yeah, he used to work until 9 o'clock on Friday nights, and now he only works till 6. Hmm. You have an explanation for that? Yeah. So do you. When we separate ourselves, it isolates us from anything else in life that can become a God. Now, church, 
here's, here's the point we have to come to. We, we just live in a day and age where now separation is belittled, not by the world, but by Christians. So you have Christians in your workplaces, and you have Christians in your family, and you have Christians from other churches that you used to attend, and they're looking at you, and you, you come over. Now, here's what excessive separation is. For anyone that has a lower standard than the person they're with, that person has excessive standards of separation. So if your dress is two inches lower, or if you go to church twice a week instead of three times, whatever it is, if that person has one higher standard, he has to be a member of a cult. He doesn't just tithe, he gives to missions too, and his wife gives to missions. And his, he has three kids that give a buck a piece. You know, and the guy is 62, and he has trains that run around his living room, and he's collected 53 toy train sets. But you're part of a cult because your kids don't own trains, they give a buck a week <laughs> to missions. Are you guys following the pattern here? Now, here's, here's what God is simply saying. I would like to become the focal point of your life. I'd like for a relationship. I've, I've never looked at Kim and said, you made me separate from all the other ladies in this earth. Your standards are so high. Something really strange. I don't know how that even came out of my mouth. It just, something really strange. And yet we say that with God. And, and he has the right to demand any of that or ask for any of that. And it should be a love-based relationship. And I, I have people ask, well, what have you given up? When I take a good look at it, David, Landon, Chris, Justin, let me, what have we really given up? It's only been the replacement of something that is going to hurt us in the future with the blessings of God and the presence of God and the movement of the Holy Spirit of God. This love has been well rewarded. But if kids don't understand it, so now you have kids in these churches and we've, the average church has lost generation after generation after generation. And you can see the hardening, 14, 15, 16 their back is getting stiffer. Their face is getting harder. Because the, the little bit of separation in the home is undermined. They know I've got to close the door. I've got to go to a friend's house. I've got to find some way to get around this standard because it's not a relationship with God, but rather a detachment from an iPad. And that makes me hate my parents. And that makes me hate my school. And instead of saying this about a relationship with God, tell me about your relationship with God. And when it's relationship with, that's why I'm puzzled when you have pastors come and say, we just don't see this many happy, respectful uh, kids sitting on the front row enjoying church. And then they stick around, they get married in the church and they actually go to church. How do you do that? There's a serious problem in Christianity when you have pastors asking, how do you have kids happy living for God? So you're telling me your philosophy is living for God creates unhappiness? 
You're telling me the only thing that you have produced in ministry is a frustration in kids with rules that at some point, as soon as they can, want to jump ship and go directly out to the world? When there is a separation from the world, but based on a separation to God, you know what you see in couples? Not in anger with the separation, but an appreciation for the separation. And any loss of that is only going to wreak havoc. Okay, look what it says and we're done. So last promise. I'll be their God, they should be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, be separate, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. Verse 18, last promise. And I will be a what? Now, here's what's sad because man's idea of God as a father is always based on their human father. So if that father figure in their life was someone who is cruel or constantly angry or abusive or hateful, and regrettably, there's a lot of that. So I deal with people, and I believe one of the areas of counseling that is really necessary is helping someone that comes from a, a, a horrific situation, earthly situation, where a father was anything but a spiritual, biblical father. And so they come out of that almost with a prefabricated bitterness in their heart for God as a father. Now, when God says, I'll be a father unto you, we're talking about the right kind of father. I thank God uh, for my dad. He was a busy man, but I remember trips and motorcycling, and we went back to Rifle uh, with Nate and those guys, and we went up on the boat cliffs, and just, just driving down that road, I'm just having a hard time keeping my mouth shut because... I'm being overwhelmed by all my childhood memories. Brother Jay on his bike, making it up the Widowmaker. Anybody else there from Colorado? Brother Jay made it up. No one else was even there. Brother Ron said, did you used to ride those bikes up on the book clips with us? Anybody else here ride the Tony? Used to do that. Pastor Bob. Tony, did you make it up the Widowmaker? Yeah. I'm being overwhelmed by those, by those moments and the rides and everything else. And looking back as a kid, great memories. I remember going to conferences. Dad introduced me to preachers uh, all across the land, took me to revivals. Uh, I had a lot of good memories. I, I, I tell you them all night, but I don't want to bore you. You know what, I want to be that kind of father to my, I want to be the right kind of father to my kids because I want them to have that kind of relationship with God where they understand the benefits of father. If you didn't have that kind of father, how many of you ever looked at someone that you idolized as a father figure and you saw that relationship then with their children and said, I, I would like to be that. I want to be that kind of father. There, firm, instructive, Expecting and demanding obedience, but at the same time, loving and kind and occupied in their lives, a daily participant in their lives. Amen? I, I want my daughters to have the right thoughts about God the Father based on the Father they knew in their home, where they said there are rules, but there is love. There are privileges, but there are responsibilities. 
I want them to be flooded with good memories, no matter if that's Pachuca or Argentina or Austin, Texas. I want them to think about trips we took and vacations and, and obligations and responsibilities that we took on. I want their whole experience to be one. My dad was there, he was present, he was loving, he was kind, he was busy, he was firm, he was helpful. You know why Christians, after they've been saved for a while, don't have the right concept of God as a father? Hold on, hold on. You just accused yourself because God said, Oh, God's my father, and he is. But God said, I'm going to be that father to those. Let me ask you this. What is your concept of your father when all there is is disobedience? What kind of father are you when you deal with a rebel in your home? You know who has the best concept of a father in their home? Not the rebel. That never turns out well. I don't care how loving he is. They're promising, and God says, I want to be that father, but I can't do that with a rebel. I will be their, their father and young people. That's what I want these young people to know. And when you sanctify yourself and you cleanse yourself, your heart and your home and your mind, there's a special relationship with God that so many Christians don't know. And you know why they get out in the world and they say, oh, I'm an ex-independent Baptist. And I'm going to grab a blog. I'm going to write some things on the Internet. I'm going to get out of church. I never, I never, never wanted to be a Christian. I was forced to be a Christian. And you know what the problem is? You. Because when you sanctify yourself, God says, I will dwell in them and I will walk in them and I'll be your God and I'll be a father unto you. There's something special in that relationship that regrettably a lot of Christians never know because they're separated from, attempting to be separated from, but not separated unto. And that only creates frustration and bitterness. Now look what it says in verse 1, we're done, 7, 1. Having therefore these promises, those are the promises, dearly beloved, let us do what? We have to cleanse ourselves. What's it say from Genesis to Revelation? Sanctify yourself. So here's what people do. There's a battle with the flesh, walk down to the altar. God, would you please clean me up, help? And God said, sanctify yourself. God didn't put that in your life. You did. God's not going to take it from your life. You have to. God didn't develop that taste for you. You did. God didn't establish that habit. You did. Say, Pastor, I confessed it and it didn't fix it. No, he didn't just say confess it. He said, go cleanse yourself. Go sanctify yourself. Go use soap. Go put on some shampoo. Step in the shower, Right? You do that every day physically, and you have to do it every day spiritually. Go sanctify yourself from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit. Then what's it saying? Perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Oh, that phrase has been marked out, crossed out, and cut out of the Baptist vernacular, the Christian vernacular. You're supposed to perfect, oh, let's all say that together, perfecting holiness. Holiness. That was hard, wasn't it? Let's say that one more time. 
perfecting holiness. Some of you have perfected gossip. You do very well. You're pretty good at it. You've perfected Starbucks. A lot of things were perfected in life. God says, perfecting holiness. And then what's the key? Parents, do your kids a favor and teach them the fear of God. You know why we don't have fear of God? Because <laughs> most of what we've gathered in our churches are not Christians anyways. Oh, Pastor, God hasn't done anything to him. Because he is a bastard, not a son, according to Hebrews 12. Because any son, he what? Chasten it. Therefore, you know ye are sons. Pastor, nothing ever happened. Let me tell you, not only has nothing ever happened, nothing will happen. A person not a child of God. It's not that hard to figure it out. Folks, I, I'll tell you what, I'm, I'm thankful. I love God. I'm, I'm not fearful in my relationship with God, but I have a healthy fear of God. And say, you know what, there are enough things to complicate life. I don't want to add the complication of being chastened by God. No, thank you. Highly motivational factor. My only fear now is if I do wrong, it's not that God will chasten me that he won't chase me quick enough. I prefer God take me off this planet before he let me besmirch his name and do something to the cause of Christ that would hurt my family or my church. Oh, God help us.